University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and our information as a way of connecting, growing, and helping to create the world we hope to inhabit together. Thank you for joining us today in another one of our What is Essential series, where we ask, what must we know, practice, and study to prepare ourselves for living in the world we now inhabit? and the world we expect to come to inhabit. Together, Folk University and you are creating the syllabus of the future. Today's topic is the first in a series on the present and future of money. By the end of this day, I hope that we will be talking like experts about cryptocurrency, token economies, blockchain, and understand what that all actually means for our community and for neighbors like you and I. Maybe a tall order. Where are you listening from today? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land and water where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klahus, Klaaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, these people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. So, today we have Skino joining us in uh, in in the little studio here. Um, Skino is the CEO of Skino Ventures Inc. and an adventure motorcyclist and cryptocurrency entrepreneur. Welcome so much to the studio. It's great to have you. And Great we have to be here. <laughs> Yay. So we have a lot of ground to cover today um, because in this short session, I am hoping to become comfortable enough with the concept of cryptocurrency to begin to understand how this might make a meaningful difference in the life, ecology, economy, resilience of an island like Cortez, Quadra, other small and remote places. So first, I thought maybe we could begin with the concept that seems like the one I am most equipped to grasp, which is, what is an adventure motorcyclist? And what does it have to do with this little island and crypto? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Well, where should we start? Adventure motorcycling. And what does that have to do with anything? Really, I think the best way to introduce that idea is if we go back 20-odd years. 20-odd years ago, 
I took a motorcycle from Canada down to South America. And it was a fantastic journey. And um, fast forward 20 odd years. And um, in 2019-ish, 2020, when things began to change in the world the way they have, as they have, and when they closed the borders, I decided, well, if you know, if I ever wanted to do a trip like that again to Latin America, I should start planning it now. Once the, when the borders were closed, then the question became, well, get ready. Number one, this is your opportunity. They've, it's one of like one of those hourglasses, you know, those sand hourglasses. And I felt like uh, that was kind of a warning shot across the bow for. Anyone who has a sense of uh, personal freedom, sense of sovereignty, autonomy, personal authority, anyone who knows anything about anything, really, has a responsibility to get it straight, more or less. And I thought, well, if this is the way this is going, um, I want to be out there. I don't want to be one of those people not ready. So my form of getting ready was to start by getting a motorcycle what happened after that was um, they never opened the borders and so here I was I was ready to go and uh, I had been living at that time for a period in uh, in another part of Canada in the woods in a cabin and uh, that was really where my crypto journey began in in an intense way um but there was a period of time, I'll try to fast forward here a little bit. It it occurred to me in the crypto journey that this was something that needed to be shared. That it wasn't just about me and what I wanted. Of course, I wanted to travel. I wanted more experiences on the motorcycle out in the world. But it was a very... Um, it was very it became very clear to me that uh that this thing this crypto thing it it wasn't about amassing wealth for the individual and and I can we can go into why that is one of them is a book I read called When Money Dies which chronicles the period of history in Germany between 1917 and 1926 roughly and when uh, Germany was saddled with the reparation payments after they lost the first world war the allies said you have to pay all of this money and there's no way you're going to get out from under this and they wouldn't negotiate make a long story short the german government devalued their own currency they did the smart thing they did the only thing that they could do which was print money as quickly as they could it ruined the german mark they introduced multiple currencies and uh, in rapid succession, and it destroyed supply chains. For, for a time with the inflated currencies, stock market soared, so people thought they were getting wealthy. Restaurants were full. People thought, hey, this is a wonderful period of time to be alive. Um, and then the bubble burst, and everything collapsed, and people left the cities. Supply chains broke. Restaurants were empty. Store shelves were empty. And the people in the countryside, the people who produced the food, um, they bore the brunt of it eventually. They wouldn't, 
they could produce the food for a time, but then eventually supply chains broke down and they, they were struggling. They had no market to sell into. And the people in the city began to resent the landowners, the farmers, and uh, portrayed them as the part of the problem. And so they, they left the cities and they began to roam the countryside um, and there was tremendous devastation and death and destruction. And, and the whole society, this is what precipitated this lead into Adolf Hitler, you know. But the book, the, the, the book was written in 1973, uh, and it chronicles that period up until 1926. So it doesn't go into what happened after that period. But up until 1926, it gives you, it's a great chronology. So I read that book. I read some other books as well while I was trading crypto and researching cryptocurrency and the blockchain and what it was. And so by the time I left that cabin in the woods to go on my journey, my whole thinking had changed. So I shifted and I came to Vancouver Island on a, on the motorcycle spending over 90% of my time off-road. I like to go off-road. I like to see what's at the edges. So I went to the edges of Vancouver Island, spent my time in remote places and uh, took it all in as much as I could. And the goal at that time was, if I can't go to Latin America, um, I've had podcasts in the past, so I thought, well, let's do a survey of what's happening on Vancouver Island, and let's talk to people about watershed protection. What are people doing to protect their water? That includes the forests, the streams, all the resources, all the communities in the watersheds, uh, the energy, means of energy production, all of it. All of it, and uh, so that that was that was what happened on Vancouver Island for for that period just this past summer. And uh, I may as well keep going and tell you how I landed on this island, which is to say that uh, the weather changed this past summer, and so I headed south. And somebody had said, "Well, you should check out Cortez." So I decided to check out Cortez. I was the last vehicle on the last ferry to Cortez on August the 5th. I met a wonderful individual who, uh, dead reckoning for Leonard Cohen, in my view, and we, we became fast friends. I'm talking five to ten minutes. And he opened up his garden on his property on Cortez. He said, where are you staying? I said, I don't know. I said, have you got a place? He's like, I have a garden. I said, have you got a garden space maybe 8 feet wide and 16 feet, 16 feet long, just enough for me to set up my tent and walk around it? And he thought about it and he said, yep. And then I was sorted. Two days later, the motorcycle broke down on Cortez. So I had to go and talk to this fine fellow and say, uh, hey, uh, look, Neither of us would have anticipated, but this is what's happening now. Would you, could we work together until I sort out my problems? Because I was only planning to be on the island for a quick whistle stop, two three days. And he he was great about it. And um, so from that point on, um, I was without a motorcycle. Have been now. I just got it back last week. But. Uh, you know, almost three months without a vehicle, number one. So 
I was hitchhiking, and I met so many wonderful people, and I just fell in love with everybody I met. And uh, I'm like, wow, what is this place? It's a really wonderful place. It's been incredible, really. Very moving. And um, I'm still here. I'm still here. And I, I'm mad about crypto. I'm crazy about the blockchain. My background's in architecture and, 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 and more recently regional economic development. And I'm really, I'm really focused on this problem. I think we have a period of uh, a few years to get ahead of what could possibly be coming down the pike in terms of currencies. And so I'll, I'll put a fork in it. But that's, that's what adventure motorcycling has to do with crypto, which is only everything. I like to say uh, moto, crypto, and uh, there's a third one. I haven't quite figured out what that is, but uh, we'll figure it out. I'll tell you what it is. It's radio. Moto Crypto Radio. Bingo, yes, bango. There you go. See. <laughs> what else do you need to know? All the answers right here at Folky Radio. Um, okay, so I feel like you gave us a preview of your answer to this, but I, I, but I want more. Um, which is so you 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 use this quote in a correspondence with me, um, and I want to know what it means to you. And this is the qu- quote. Give me control of a nation's money, and I care not who makes its laws. And that is Meyer Amschel Bauer Rothschild. Um, I, I thought I thought that was very evocative. Can you tell me what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, number one, I have to tell you who passed that quote to me. I have to tell you is a gentleman here on the island. And are we allowed to name drop here? I I, I hope so. I, I, I do not know. You don't anymore. know? Okay. Sure. First name drop. Basil. Oh, yeah. He's a smart guy. Wonderful individual. And, uh, yeah, so so Basil and I had a visit recently, and he, he shared that with me. And I think it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And now, I don't know when that quote, you know, where when it comes from in history, but uh, a while ago, before blockchain. But it's true. Um, what does it mean to me? Um, what it means to me is uh, today, you know, my three of my main interests are politics, economics, and philosophy. And... If you've been paying attention to those first two things, it should be clear to everyone by now that politics and economics now are essentially the same thing. If you belong to any kind of an organization that needs to be resting on some kind of a financial footing and economically responsible footing, you are, uh, by all intents and purposes, political. You have to be. It's no coincidence that Western governments have swallowed whole the means of uh, producing and distributing currency. They own it. They own the money. Now, that's something that is unique, I'm going to say, in Western democracies of the 20th century. And now, just to be clear, this is a function of, uh, of I, w- I want to say, because I think what follows that is 
a government that has the control of the money, I think it's safe to say they have too much control, especially when you think about the knock-on effects of when systems fail, and all systems fail. You know, they, they serve a function, there's a utility to them, but what we know about systems and system design, innovation, technology, the, all these things in the material world, they have life cycles. And there's peaks and valleys, and there's also some beginnings, but there's also endings. And in the political world, this is where so much of our social safety net, this whole idea about the social contract, what do we agree to agree upon as a society? Where do we want to go? What, what matters to us? Should we protect the environment? How much? Should we exploit it? How much? Should we print money? How much? Who gets to decide? So that quote about Rothschild and who controls the money doesn't matter who, who writes the laws. doesn't matter. So blockchain solves that problem, and it's all about decentralization. Okay, so now you're starting to throw around fancy words. So <laughs> we, So there's going to be some explaining that needs to happen. Um, I started my questions by asking about what is cryptocurrency, but since you just used the word blockchain, I think we need to start there. So what is blockchain? Okay. Blockchain is a, a technology. And the simplest way I can, I like to explain it, is um, it's not a new technology. It's been around for decades. Essentially, a blockchain is a ledger. Those the two words that make up blockchain, block and chain. Okay. You create a block, and this is in I'm gonna use the analogy of computer code. So you create a block of code, right? So if you think of a block and a uh, that has four sides, and if you're looking at that block straight on, and you can see the four sides, it's like a square or a rectangle. And on the left hand side there's a flat edge. And on the right side, there's a flat edge. So it implies that if you have a number of these blocks, you can stack them up side by side, front to back, and you can create a chain, right? You, you string them out. Now you have a series of them. What the blockchain does is it controls or it... It's a rational structure for how those chains go together. It's just, an illustra it's just, it's just a way to illustrate an idea, which is that Things happen, then things happen after those other things happen. So whatever came before has to make sense now, and whatever comes after has to make sense with what came before. So it's very simple in that sense. It's a simple logical construct. That's essentially what the blockchain is. That's what blockchains do. When you talk about cryptocurrency... Cryptocurrencies are built on blockchain technology. And cryptocurrency, if you break those that word apart into crypto, cryptography, and currency, meaning which everyone understands as money or the flow of 
good uh, currency. We'll just call it currency, things that flow. If you're in the blockchain world, often people talk about currency just meaning how energy flows, like, like electricity through a wire. So how can information, stored energy, essentially, how can stored energy flow in a cryptographic manner, meaning it's protected, it's secure, it's anonymous? And how can you structure that in series so it's incorruptible? Another important quality of the blockchain is that it is... Um, massively distributed across these networks, these computer networks. So when something gets written to the blockchain, if, if you and I have, a, have a, a transaction and I send you some cryptocurrency, uh, that happens on what's called a smart contract. Now we're getting into some lingo, so I can pause it at any time here. But essentially that when we do a transaction, it's recorded on the blockchain and then it's instantly massively distributed. So nobody can go and find it and, and corrupt it. So you have a, 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 a protected, decentralized, massively distributed network for all, kind, all manner of things. I'm just giving this one example, but how's that? Uh, it's good, but I, so I need a little bit more. So um, <clears throat> So I like this idea of distributed because I can imagine that I can imagine distributed, right? It's like photocopies of your of your money, like all over the place, except for it, except for really, it's in this virtual world of the intrawebs. It sounds like so. This is yes. all living, like living out and flowing through this realm. It sounds like of. Maybe the internet isn't even enough of a word, but it seems like it's living out and flowing through this realm that lives between computerized machines. Networks. <laughs> yeah, networks. Yeah. Is that right? That is right. It's all made possible by the internet. It lives... The internet is, is, is a vital network for blockchain. Yes. Okay. So, and... You know, which I think it's good. I mean, talking about currency as flow, right? We already have this idea that what economies are are, are flows, they're exchanges of, of really energy that then is manifest in goods. Um, and so this is an exchange of energy that is um, perhaps, uh, yeah, I mean, is no less possible of be, than, be, you know, I guess, to be manifested in goods. So I still need a little bit more, though. Um so can we start talking about the differences then between different blockchains yeah. and these like large, you know, I, I feel like everybody's heard of Bitcoin. Um, but there's also one that you mentioned before, Ethereal. Ethereum. Ethereum. So I want to hear a little bit like what, like how do blockchains differ and then how do they relate can you exchange them? Are, can you exchange them like you would exchange foreign currencies? How do they relate to each other? Great. Okay, so, uh, yeah, okay, there's Bitcoin. That's, that's the, the godfather of all cryptocurrencies. And uh, so a quick history on, on Bitcoin. Um, an individual or individuals or nation-state actors, or cloak and dagger, who knows? Nobody really knows. But an avatar, an individual, let's say, that went by 
a pseudonym called uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Here's this individual right after the crisis in 08-09, the credit bubble collapse in the U.S. This guy pops up, and he's he's like, I'm working on, it's a little bit like that Watson moment, you know? Watson, you know, sends that message over the telephone line for the first time. I think the first thing they talked about was... uh, Something about an apple. I don't know. Are you? I I can't remember the the exact line that he said. But Satoshi Nakamoto said, "I'm working on this problem, a way to transfer money peer to peer without middlemen. I'm working on that." And that was his first. That's the first really one of the first recorded message that people refer to to say this was a first, like a like seismic human history massive watershed moment there's everything that came before that moment and then now everything that comes after that was 0809 wait so wait, and when you say he sent a message yeah is on that the internet. message a blockchain or was that message no, that just was like just I'm a message on like oh. on, a, on, a, on a messaging platform oh, okay I'm... he just sent it out and said this is what i'm working on a way to send uh, money so what he did is he solved the problem what's called double spend you know so if you've got a a a computer disc, a CD, right? And, you know, back in the day during Napster, all of a sudden all this music is available for free and you can go and download it, right? Like, and if you get over the, like, the the moral question of should I be downloading and, and copying this artist's work that normally you'd have to go to the music store and pay fifteen twenty dollars for an album or what have you. I think back in the day you could even get an album for ten dollars. But now Napster comes along and you can download this information and then you can uh, duplicate that CD that you burn in your computer and and now you're now you're just as good as a record label. You can produce and distribute and sell, and it's all uh, fraudulent. It's it's all copyrighted material, and you're stealing it. Well, that's the problem, you could say, in principle at least, with why it's taking so long. That's There's other reasons, but one of the reasons why it's taken this long to get money onto digital platforms is it's this double spend problem. So essentially what Nakamoto did was he solved for that problem through the blockchain, through his code, um, so that you cannot produce a token or a dollar on the internet and then have somebody just like copy it, copy it, copy it, which, which is essentially you could say that would be an inflationary model of spending. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of cryptocurrencies on a number of blockchains that are inflationary in nature, just like fiat currencies are inflationary in nature. If Congress passes a bill and then goes to the U.S. Treasury and says, we need $6 trillion in the economy, they do it. That's an inflationary money supply. That's Keynesian economics. This is where we have a problem today. I haven't even gotten to your question about the blockchain, which is which comes immediately on the heels of this, which is Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin. Bitcoin solved that problem of the double spend. Bitcoin is a blockchain. It's its own blockchain. It's called a coin 
because it also is on its own blockchain. Following Bitcoin comes Ethereum. Ethereum is unique in a number of different ways. It's its own blockchain as well. What's unique about Ethereum and how how you a, a good way to think about what distinguishes Ethereum from Bitcoin is that Ethereum actually is um, it's like a virtual. They used to call it a virtual machine. I think in some cases they still do. Ethereum is a different sort of an animal, whereas Bitcoin is um, essentially considered now as a as a as digital gold, a digital store of energy. Ethereum is more like a world computer. And on their blockchain, they are known for their some, some key innovations. One is the creation of what's called smart contracts. And with a smart contract, you can you can do all kind again, these are illustrations, but you can put software onto the Ethereum blockchain and call it a smart contract. And that opens up all kinds of possibilities. Like and this is why Ethereum is its network has grown exponentially. If you look at the dollar value right now, I think uh, block Bitcoin is trading around sixty thousand, between sixty sixty five thousand, something like that. U.S. per Bitcoin, Ethereum is hovering between four and five thousand, right now, roughly. Um, network adoption for Ethereum is outpacing Bitcoin right now, and there's all kinds of reasons why. But one of the major reasons why is that. Thanks to smart contracts, which is an innovation from Ethereum and the creators of that blockchain, it opens up the possibility for all kinds of opportunities, financial opportunities, not just currency or coins that can be sent back and forth in the blockchain along different layers. There's layer one, layer two, and so on. But you can also... Use these smart contracts. I'll give you an example. So there's a, a group called uh, VeChain. And uh, VeChain is in the supply chain business. So uh, if you look at anything that moves in the economy, a good, let's say a, a carton of apples, uh, and it comes from Asia, right? So it goes from the farmer's orchard to to. A, a, a basket and then from a basket it goes to uh, a truck from a truck it goes on to a, a ship from a ship it goes across the water eventually it gets to your grocery store and you buy it that's the supply chain all those different uh, exchanges that a, that a product moves through that's the supply chain Ethereum and smart contracts enables you to put all of that information on the, on the blockchain which is an, inc an incredibly powerful uh, function of Ethereum. And this is why it's so attractive. So a group like VeChain says, comes along and says, we're going to use the smart contracts on Ethereum. And we're going we're gonna to put our business on the blockchain now. And now you're seeing more and more companies all over the world. A lot of, a lot of attention is focused on the financial industry. But really, it's the supply chain, I think, that makes sense for a lot of people in terms of how to wrap their heads around it. Um, it's just a better way of 
trade. It's a better way of organizing the economy. It's just the next evolution of technology. A lot like how there was the teletype, and then there were fax machines, and then there was the internet. And now there's the blockchain. Okay, so we're going to go all the way through this model until I totally understand it. Okay, so right now, um, if you're getting apples from from Japan, um, which why would you? Because we have them growing here. But say you were, because <laughs> we're getting lots of things from Japan or something from Japan, right? So let's say it's apples. We've got, like, you're the person buying it. You're the local grocery store, and you're buying those apples from Japan. You have... There's a distributor that you're working with, and that distributor has to figure out a way to not only get their goods from Japan through the truck driver and the boat and the, the train and then the next truck driver and then the ferry and et cetera, right? Not only are they figuring out that supply, but they're also figuring out somehow how to pay each of those participants. And maybe that's in just two currencies, but... Uh, I mean, or, you know, two government-sanctioned money mounts. Can we call those currencies? What do we call those? Fiat currencies? Yes. Fiat? Fiat, like uh, F-I-A-T, by decree. Yes. Central government decree. Okay, so fiat currencies. So you've got multiple fiat currencies that you're perhaps dealing with, multiple contracts um, that represent the the exchange that is going to come of goods and money. And you've got um, then the actual physical movement, like goods moving. So all so all of a sudden, like you could do that by using all these different fiat dollars and all these different paper or you know computer contracts, or you've used something like Ethereum, which builds it all into one. So you're not changing and trading and including a whole bunch of different banks and losing value in each thing because it is the same value through all the different players or all the different countries. So you've got that and within it is built a contract system. So then theoretically, you that's taken care of too. You don't have to have a big, huge file with all these different contracts and who's getting what. Um, and so is so am I understanding that correctly? Like this is why you might do this because you're looking at this chain and this actually makes everything so much simpler. Y- yes. <laughs> yes. I- essentially, yes, you're picking up on on the on these are the critical these are some of the critical characteristics and and the value and the virtue of the blockchain. So, yes. So then uh, it seems more um, possible than I imagine, but does it work that then you can exchange between um, blockchain currencies? Yes. Now, this is exciting because what you're just what you've just introduced is uh, something that I'm very excited about personally, and and the reason I'm excited is because um, number one. When I started to trade cryptocurrency, it, it was an evolution for me. I came into crypto after developing a personal thesis around politics, philosophy, and economics. And I had heard about and read about Bitcoin in the news. But my personal disposition is that I am not an early adopter, right? 
Um, I've got a close friend that I grew up with. When I think about an early adopter, I think of him. His name's Jeff. And he was always the first to get everything. When ColecoVision came out, he had to be the first guy to get it. And this was when we were like 10 years old. And they had to have always the best game, the first game, the newest game, all of that stuff, right? Or if it was dirt biking, he had to have like the latest and greatest. He was always out there like getting stuff first. I wasn't like that. Even even in university, when wireless speakers first came out and they were the size of where, like wearing a cooler on your head, he had to be the guy with the with that. And I was like, why would you do that? The sound quality wasn't very good. They were heavy. They didn't last long. The batteries were crappy. But anyway, that was him. That's not me. I'm always like way tail end. One day I was reading an article on Austrian economics. Austrian economics is about deflationary currencies, about getting away from central government currencies, which need to print money. That's the Keynesian model. The Keynesian model is you got a problem in the economy. It's all about inflation. How do you control inflation? You control it through the money supply. Okay, makes sense. Works for us in a lot of ways. Has for many, many years, decades now. But we're at the end of that cycle. So I was reading an article on Austrian economics, and then they mentioned Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So that's when I fell down the rabbit hole. That's when I started to trade. A few months later, I started to buy and hold Bitcoin. Then I held Ethereum. Then I started to buy and investigate all of these other types of cryptocurrencies. Some of them, some of them were coins, and some of them, many of them, are tokens. They're not coins. If they're on a blockchain of their own, like Ethereum or Near or uh, there's countless, countless Solana, uh, Polkadot, uh, you know, all these protocols. They have their own blockchains now. You know, people know Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're popular, so we can use those as examples. But there are many. On each of those blockchains are other forms of currency called tokens. So me personally, I inherited uh, cryptocurrency of right now, I, I hold it exclusively. So I, I invested in a token early on, and it's a token that's built on the Ethereum blockchain, and they call that an ERC20 token, which is just a, like an empty shoebox. But to get to your point, which your question was going to a deeper level of exchange and trade, that's where tokens come into the picture. Okay, good. Because, but so this is good. We have a new word now, which is token. Yes. And I still don't fully understand the word coin. So, can we flush out what is a token and how then is it different than a coin? The, the, what I heard was that a crypto coin sits on its own um, blockchain. Um, and by its own, I'm imagining that you means it's a un- it's unique. Um, but but I think we I need a little bit more words around both of these things to really understand. Sure. So um, 
so what is a token and maybe in understanding what is a token i will you know you can also explain yeah. more fully what is a coin absolutely well so getting back to this uh, period of history in germany between 1917 and 1926 when that society at that period of history was falling apart local communities created their own token economies so i don't think there's any coincidence that the word token was used then and it's being used now a coin, Bitcoin, has its, it's its own blockchain, and it gets to call its unit of trade a coin. Ethereum, symbol ETH, that's a coin. It resides on its own blockchain. It is a rail, you could say. You can trade between Ethereum and Bitcoin, and you can do it on an exchange like Binance or Coinbase all these centralized exchanges, right, which are the cryptocurrency versions of, let's say, the New York Stock Exchange or the FTSE, things like that. Now, you were talking about apples from Japan. They, they get traded back and forth on, on, you know, since the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency, um, all money, all trade happens on those rails. And it's it it moves along a, a network, a system called called SWIFT. Okay, now SWIFT uh, that is controlled by the U.S. government. Okay, and there's there's all kinds of geopolitical forces at play there, and and we can screw that for now. Um, but now they're now crypto is coming to sort of challenge that hegemony, you could call it. Um, but yes, now, now, so there's, there was, uh, you know, in from that crossover between fiat currency and crypto, uh, you've got fiat currencies, the U.S. being first and foremost as the world's reserve currency. Then you have Bitcoin and Ethereum, and all these tokens that are on the Ethereum network, and other blockchains as well. And and then you have what's coming next is. CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, which is nation states saying, hey, we want a part of this. First, they said it's only drug dealers. It's only, uh, you know, ne'er-do-wells, people who are interested in human trafficking or, you know, this kind of thing. They're the only ones who use crypto. Well, now, they're now their tune is changing very rapidly. And they're saying, we want in. Every nation state now of any merit is building their own central bank digital currency. If they're not, they should be. So they will step forward now to say, okay, hey, great, thanks, great, thanks for doing all this work, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, we'll take it from here, right? And then, and then that will become the new form of uh, international economic trade. And then they hope, you, you know, uh, MMT, modern monetary theory, right? Again, this idea that, oh, no, there's no problem. We'll just add zeros. We'll print more and more money, and we'll just add more and more zeros. It's, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just we're now in this new age of, like, AI, and the computers will take over, 
and they can figure out the math, right? That whole Pandora's box of, it's a black box, and there's stuff going on in there. The human mind can't comprehend these kinds of numbers, right? And they expect us to just go along with it, right? And we're supposed to be cool with it, right? Good luck. That's my, that's my thought. That's my view. But CBDCs is an attempt by national governments to say, we got this. It's all going to be okay. We can keep our standing armies. We can keep this over-exploitation of the uh, natural environment. We'll still give lip service to biodiversity. But guess what happens? When you inflate your currency and gold is suddenly, let's say, you know, to use an old comparison, you know, for, for gold bugs out there who are hoarding gold and so on, that's great. You need to be diversified. If you don't hold crypto, you should. If you don't hold gold, you should. If you don't hold stocks, you should. If you don't have land, you should. You need to be diversified. This isn't a zero-sum game anymore. You know, it's It has to be better than that, bigger than that. But when it comes to this question of um, the value of a thing, you know, it used to be that the United States government would put 10 cents into the economy and then over years, the economy, the real trade, the real exchange of value, growing and producing goods, buying and selling, eventually that 10 cents, thanks to the people who work and add value, real value, real utility, that 10 cents would one day be worth an actual U.S. dollar. Now, thanks to MMT and quantitative easing, the United States puts $1 into the economy for $1 back. And in fact, now with the bond markets, if you look at the bond markets now, it's actually regressing. And they're putting in a dollar and they're only getting 90 cents back in the economy. And, you know, guess who pays for that? <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really ridiculous. When you really understand what's going on, what's happening, it is... It is just absolutely ridiculous. And we are giving our power over to these people by our own free will. In the past, we elected them democratically, and we said we have a responsibility to vote. This is what we do. This is the social contract, right? We put people in position of, position of power and authority, and they act in our best interest. That whole equation now is coming under scrutiny. And thanks to technology and the blockchain and all of these different means, ways and means to buy and trade and exchange value and store value, there are alternatives now, viable alternatives. And again, it's not to say that it's infallible, because it's not. But blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these things, token economies, local token economies, which is my primary interest, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because if we can educate people on the ground in the local economies to really understand what's going on from a structural perspective, all of this begins to make sense. And when that penny drops, it's a seismic seismic shift in, in, in your mental model, in your worldview. And, and, and then the game really begins. 
but we're just now at the very, very start of this. Okay. So we have the sort of um, fiat currencies, um, and really it's a whole way of looking at the economy. And then we have parallel to that, opposite that, opposing that, the the blockchain currencies. Can we say that? Absolutely. Okay. So within that, there is um, the CBDCs. So this is the government kind of trying to merge what they've always been doing, but into this other realm. Um, and you have crypto coin, or do we say cryptocurrency? Uh, well, which is let's it depends. Say, what what do you want to? <clears throat> what what's well, on I'm the heel of that? I, well, I'm just trying to <laughs> create linear comparisons. You're, you're so um, far. Your your terminology is spot on. Okay, You've well, got you're a great it. teacher. You got this. You're a great teacher. Okay, so where I'm going to is, I want to understand more about this token economy idea and how it's different than about what you just explained around cryptocurrency. So I think right. I kind of get what it what a what a crypto coin is, the way that it relates to blockchain um, uh, currencies, but I still don't understand what a token is. Okay, great. What's a token? Uh, best example I can give is, and I have to use my own experience because it's really, it's it's how I came to understand this myself. And like I say, at the start. My first uh, crypto that I bought was at a vending machine. A vending machine. And it was all foreign to me. But you know, like when you're a kid and you go to these things and you play this game and you have these controls, this crane, and you try to go and pick up a fuzzy toy and in the inside of that toy was a candy or something, but this crane was really feeble. So you put in quarter after quarter after quarter and hope that you'd get one, Right. That's what that's what my experience was, was was like trying to buy my first Bitcoin. I'm like I, I'm like what do I do? Where's the quarter thing? Where I just want to pump the quarters in and get my Bitcoin back, right? That's what it was like. So at a vending machine, in this little town in the middle of nowhere, here was this machine, and I was like, is this the moment? Is this where I get to rip the Band-Aid off and actually dive into crypto? I've got to do it at some point. Do it now. You know, real gutsy move. Felt like I was getting on a roller coaster for the first time. I was like a, a seven-year-old or something, like really pushing the limits. You know, that's how I felt. But that was Bitcoin. And I think it was, uh, I spent, I put, I had cash. And it took, it took loonies and dollar and bills. And I plugged $13 of cash into this machine and then I stuck my smartphone under the scanner. It scanned a QR code and said, and then plunk, there's an address on there, a wallet, cryptocurrency wallet address with an account on it. And that's where my Bitcoin went. And then I spent the rest of the day educating myself on wallets and accounts and, and where this Bitcoin was. I had no idea what it was at that point, but I said, I got to get some. At least if I got some, that'll incentivize me to know a little bit more. That's where it started. Then I bought Ethereum because I traded off my part of my Bitcoin. Over time, I bought more of it. Then I traded it off. Then I got into Ethereum. And I went down and down and down and down all the way through this food chain, including Doge. You know, I could tell you all kinds of stories about Doge. And I traded. I used to trade. I used to, um, I used to study technical analysis in the stock market. So I traded. I 
I used to do that. And it was during a time with when I was practicing architecture, and I was looking for something else to do on the side. And so I, that's when I was getting into technical analysis, which is just reading charts. So then when crypto came along many, many years later, it actually all came back, like riding a bicycle. And I went deeper and deeper and deeper from these high market cap. I think Bitcoin's market cap right now is over a trillion dollars. It's massive. But it's still just... If you think about the value of the economy, which is in, you know, I think it's hundreds of trillions of dollars. So Bitcoin, if Bitcoins are going to be, and all that's denominated, by the way, in U.S. dollars, right? So if you look at, let's say it's, uh, I think it's 700 trillion, something like that. I'm, I'm just guessing. It might be less. It might be 500. I don't know. You'd have to check the numbers exactly. But, but that's what, that's the game that Bitcoin is competing in. So... We could be uh, 450 times from its current valuation of uh, 60 odd thousand dollars. But you're asking about tokens. Can I dive into tokens quickly? Absolutely, please. Okay. As I'm going deeper, deeper into the food chain, I'm looking at smaller and smaller market cap blockchains. And then within Ethereum, I'm looking at smaller and smaller organizations, companies, use cases. I mentioned VeChain before, companies that actually have a business. One of my most successful investments was in a, a technology company that, frankly, I had to unplug myself at one point from all of this noise. There's so much noise in crypto. You don't know what's real. You don't know what's not. And so I totally unplugged for a while, and I just started sniffing around the internet trying to do research because I'm like, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy, you know, with my background in architecture. Like, where are the posts? Where do the floors go? Where's the staircase? Show me a front door. Where's the windows? Can I open those windows? Where's a fan? Can we turn a fan on here? Where's the light switch? You know, water, plumbing, you know, that's how I think. That's how I operate. So I found this company and I won't mention the name of it because it doesn't matter really but i found it it was a business they had customers real customers and they bought and sold with one another so i knew that if they were on the blockchain they were one of the first and i checked it out and it, and it, and it held water they were a company like any other company and they were just finding innovative ways to use the blockchain to improve their business really smart smart people thinking way ahead so i put a little bit of money in there just a little bit. And then I forgot about it. And that's the, really the best way to get into crypto is just get something and never look at it again. This is how early we are in this whole thing. And I won't harp on that because I don't want to sell. I'm not here to sell. But I relate all of that because each of these companies, they produce a token of their own. And it represents their company's value on the blockchain. That's a brand new thing. So think of that as a, a almost like a, a brand new product. If you are, um, if you manufacture microphones, and you're not on the blockchain, the first question you have to figure out is, well, okay, do I want to be on the blockchain, and how do I get there? 
And if you make those decisions and you say, yes, we have to be on the blockchain, we want to be on the blockchain, but we make microphones, so how do we get onto it? You create your own token, and you enable people to invest in your company's future value, your future potential, to trade on this new rail of value. And that's what a token essentially is. So the token that I inherited, can I name drop? Shiba Ken. So I mentioned Doge earlier. D-O-G-E, Doge. And many people know Doge. And many people who are listening to this either held Doge, hold Doge at one point. After Doge, which was a tip jar on cryptocurrency that came out years ago, in 20, when I say years ago, I mean 2017, I think it came out officially, right? And then it exploded in 2020. It just took off. And then shortly after that, actually not, not that long ago, it's less than a year ago, just I think eight months, if I'm right, or close to that anyway, a, a new token came along as a copycat because thousands came out as copycats on the heels of Doge. Because they said if a, if a tip jar like Doge can come out, has no use case, has no utility, it's not a real business, then anybody and anything can become its own cryptocurrency. And this is true. This is what people don't actually, I don't, most people don't know this, but but that's what I essentially inherited. I took Shibaken and created a use case for it, which because of my background in architecture and my interest in sustainability and my recent focus on regional economic development and how to solve those issues for food protection, uh, you know, energy security, food security, and water security, those sustainability development goals, SDGs. That's where you could say we stand in the whole blockchain equation. That's Shibakin. And we're building our whole ethos around a manifesto that depends on local token economies. So we have a, a local token economy, an ecosystem that we are now developing and advancing uh, with our partners to make sure that we can continue in a in a forward fashion, in a positive way. You are listening to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. We are covering everything cryptocurrency today. We are lucky enough to have Skinu in studio with us to ensure that uh, at least I don't leave until I understand what's going on. And if I can understand it, then you can too. So thanks for staying tuned. There'll be opportunity in a little bit for you to call in and ask questions. That is at 250-935-0200. So once you hear music, you are please uh, encouraged to call in and ask your questions. Uh, But we're going to go a little bit deeper before we uh, go to questions. So stay tuned. Okay, thank you for that little break. Um, I okay, so this is a good le- lead in um, to to tokenomics. What, so, but I think I still need a little bit of clarity on this idea of a token. So, I want to just go a little bit deeper into what is a token, and then I want to understand tokenomics within that. And I think what I heard you say is that tokens are a way 
to kind of get on this um, uh, blockchain system, to get into the blockchain chain currency system, if you as a small like business or as someone providing value of some sort, you can basically monetize that value through becoming a member of this alternative economy, which is the, the um, blockchain economy. So you believe that you either you're like, you know, selling apples locally or you are just like a creator of, of goodness in some way and you believe that has value in the way that you're going to actually leverage that value is by getting in the blockchain world and that's a token i I was with you until that last sentence of that's a token no that is not a token but that is what a token is very useful for so a little bit more on what is a token, and maybe one will just understand if you tell, you know, I'll understand more if you just tell me a little bit more about tokenomics. Yeah. So tokenomics, uh, yes, I agree with everything that you were describing about producers of value and, and ways to distribute that value. Yes, to- that is precisely, uh, in my opinion, the highest use case for tokens, particularly local tokens and token local token economies. Tokenomics is essentially uh, this incentivized hierarchy, an incentivized hierarchy um, that creates certain conditions. You, you're setting up systems, means of trade and exchange of value, and uh, using tools that, frankly, have been really quite... Uh, there's been massive innovation in the gaming industry. That can't, that can't be overlooked. That can't be overstated. All, a lot of these games like Fortnite, uh, that if any kids are listening to this, um, they'll know what Fortnite is. There's many examples now. Axie Infinity is actually a, a really big game on the blockchain there's this whole move called play to earn and you can you can play to earn you can play games online and earn cryptocurrencies you can be rewarded with these tokens and those tokens actually have real world value you can do things like uh give you an example uh you can buy what's called an nft which is a, a new kind of a token uh, non-fungible token, it's called. But um, you know, give you an example. If you uh, if you print, if you if you own a uh, a business like uh, Silkscreen, and you make hoodies and you put your logo on there or somebody's logos on there, if that's your business, there's companies now on the blockchain who who have teamed up with artists and creative people, digital artists, musical artists. But let's use this example of hoodies and T-shirts. And uh, they'll say, we're going to issue a token uh, for that good, for that hoodie, for that T-shirt. And now it's on the blockchain. So there, And there's only one like it. So every T-shirt, every hoodie might come out of the same factory, but they all have a unique NFT. It's a license. 
and it's to say this is an immutable representation on the blockchain of this hard good. Now, that's, that's a very sexy idea when you think about it, because number one, it introduces the blockchain to a, a massive demographic. I'm talking arts and culture, music, sculptors. I mean, you name it. Anybody who does anything that's re been reliant on a middleman of any kind, uh, your agent, if you're a musical artist, your record label, the art gallery, right? That might run off with your paintings, who knows? All of that goes away on the blockchain if you work with the right organizations to represent your interests. And again, that gets back to decentralization. But the question when you talk about tokens and local token economies and what is a token, it is this whole system this whole ecosystem of how do you represent the social contracts of value exchange? We want to do good, human beings. We want to do good. We want to we want we want to thrive as individuals, and we want to see other people thrive as individuals. And in so far as it's possible, we want to reduce suffering and pain to to the very limit. But even even those have limits. There's only so much good that anyone can do. The best way that human beings and Western civilization and world history so far, in, in our purview, not to say that other cultures haven't done it better or, or in other periods of the world, that they haven't had better social contracts, but in the West, this uh, means of creating and distributing capital, again, blockchain is now the latest iteration on how to accrete value and distribute it in a fair and equal manner by cutting out the middleman. So getting back to this t-shirt thing, you will then uh, team up. Somebody produces that t-shirt or that hoodie. <clears throat> they put their logo on it. Then they go to a game designer or game developer and they say, uh, you got all these avatars, these characters running around in these video games. Can I put my hoodie on to one of your characters or put it into a marketplace in your video game, right? So then if you're a video game player, you'll say, yeah, I, I like running around and I like to shoot things or I like to, I like to go and grow, you know, digital gardens or create digital cities on in this place that's now we're, we're, we're deciding to call it what's called the metaverse basically this whole online world that lives digitally like second life was an early early version of it and uh and so all of these places these digital universes these these other worlds um have marketplaces and you can go and buy and sell these things and you can go and buy uh through the nft that exact replica in the digital world world of the hoodie that you walk around in every day if you want it or, or you sell it to anyone else for that matter. And and the speculative value alone on that stuff is enormous. But again, it's a it's a way for people to buy and sell and trade on the blockchain. That's just one example. In the real world, where I prefer to live and operate, I'm more interested in helping people who have real businesses get onto the blockchain so that 
the the community as a whole is protected, is hedged against this potential hyperinflation before blockchain and before digital currencies came along. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go back to that example of pre-World War II Germany. They had to, on the fly, invent a local token economy so that they wouldn't have to somehow find 50,000 German marks to pay for a carton of eggs, right? I mean, that'll make anyone crazy, right? If you think you're civilized today, well, just try ripping out the economic uh, underpinnings from your society, and then, and then you'll find out really what you're made of. We're all pretty much made of the same things, and we're all subject to the same forces. If there's a 1% chance that hyperinflation is possible, then I think... I personally, and individuals in general, anyone who shares this understanding, we all have a responsibility not to get rich and buy Lamborghinis and build bigger houses, but to protect ourselves against these centralized hierarchies, these authoritarian uh, figureheads in the world who think that they can solve everything by throwing more money at it. And that's just not the case. And right now, it's looking more and more like they're going to keep pressing that logic. More control, uh, more centralization, more standing armies, more bullets, more guns, and so on. And less for everybody else, right? So we're just at the end of that game. I think, again, if there's a 1% chance that hyperinflation could happen, we have a moral responsibility to get ourselves ready. That's why I do what I do, and that's where local token economies really come into play, so that we can hedge ourselves and my final word on this is going to be this. It's not, again, just to be able to buy, sell, and exchange, but we can create local endowment funds. And this is what really gets me excited. If we just divert a little bit like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is skyrocketing in value, taking more and more of the collective wealth of society and storing it on the blockchain. If Shiba can or SKU Ventures, if we can help divert just a tiny fraction of that wealth creation that's happening right now and put it into local token economies, endowment funds on the blockchain through smart contracts, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? You could be, you could be setting yourselves up, every community that we would go into, we could be creating generational wealth for the next hundred years. Okay, I feel a lot clearer. And so I think then part of what it seems like an advantage of a crypto token economy would be is that not only does it protect that economy from um, inflation or whatever kind of control, the middleman in the outside world, but um, it, so you've got this like functioning local economy. And I, I feel like when you live on an island, a rural island, you can imagine like we're not there, but we see what what how reliant we are on every ferry trip on every time something with the outside system is disrupted. 
the huge impacts. We're always at the end of feeling the impact because we, because we're on the edge and we're off the edge. We're two fairies off the edge, um, three fairies off the edge, really. So, so therefore we understand the, the difference and the overlap between being truly a, a sustainable, functioning, resilient local economy and everything else going on. But does then, if you had, if we had a really functional local token economy, so we had a way to value each other and our and our and and what's produced and needed and and done locally, does this then allow us, if it exists in in the blockchain world, does it allow us then to also trade outside when we need that you know carton of milk that comes from the Big Island or whatever? I think that is a. A, a wonderful extension of this of this potential new system. We can completely reorganize ourselves if we choose to do this. And the way to do that is through a new mechanism, a corporate mechanism called the DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Through the DAO, and I should mention Wyoming, they're the first... Uh, centralized i'm going to use this example technically you don't need to go to a central authority like a government to create a decentralized autonomous organization but you can now and you can go to wyoming and just like you would set up a corporation or a not-for-profit a foundation or a charity a limited liability corporation, if you're somewhere else in the world, that's also become quite popular. Well, now you're going to hear more and more about decentralized autonomous organizations. You can do it entirely on the blockchain. The government never has to know about it because the, the principle, the idea is that the value you create, the wealth that you create, those stores of value, they belong to you and your community. All the stakeholders who buy in and say, I want that DAO token. I, I want to vote. Voting is, is, is critical to this uh, model as well. Everybody who gets a vote. This is, this is why this is so powerful, especially for the creator community, arts and culture, as an example. Um, one of the things that DAOs can do is, to your point, which is, I think, sort of where you were leading with this, is this stuff works great if you've got an internet connection. But what happens when the internet goes down, right? Well, if you make that a central pillar in your charter as a DAO and say, what do we do if, you know, shit hits the fan and the power goes out? What happens? You just don't live on a... You have no functioning economy, you know? Okay, well, that's not going to work. So there are, and we're talking with these partners right now, actually, which is exciting, um, to create physical currencies so that you can all have this agreed upon thing that you can hold in your hand and say, this is, this is what we're going to trade with. And that can happen whether the lights are on or off. So candlelight or by you know, daylight, whatever. It works all the time, right? And and so that's very possible too. So that's important to to 
to highlight that essentially the Tao, in at least in part, not exclusively, but in part, it is a form of governance, right? So it has a has a central government quality to it. It's democratic in the sense that everybody participates and they have a responsibility to vote. And they do it by ownership. And it's fractional ownership, which we can get into later. But essentially, that you can fractionate entire asset classes so that more and more people can participate at lower and lower entry points for value. Gives everybody a voice again. Helps to democratize it. So it's governmental. ESG is the best is is a very effective way to look at it. If if you decide to create your own money, you're essentially saying, well, we're going to become our own central bank, right? If if the community decides that's what they want to do, if they want to print their own money and say this is work this works now. Well, in the past you couldn't do that because, you know, the government can always turn out the lights. Right, the regulators say to the power company, you know, hey, you got to pay your taxes, and the ta- and the and the power company passes those those bills on to business owners and 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 residences, consumers. And if we had all decide today, like, you know, not pay my taxes anymore, well, the lights go out. Well, it's conceivable that a local DAO, a local community, organized with a strong set of governance, uh, a strong governance structure in place, their own currency, their own stores of value, can control their own means of production locally, whether that's renewable energy, solar, tidal, what have you, organic if you want to generate through composting or what have you. You can own, if you can own, if you own your own means of production, you can control your you now you have energy security and you can tell the regulators and the governments and all these centralized authorities to just go and pound sand cuz you're calling the shots now the community is calling the shots now now what's i'm going to pause there cuz that's a, a lead into something greater but i want to pause there so that we can collectively orient ourselves <laughs> If my eyes start to glaze over, then he he, he stops. No, I, I'm following you. Um, and I think this is a great um, lead into, I think, both like my big fear and, and, and like in one of the big worries and also the big potential. So the big worry is that, um, and it, you know, as soon as something exists, only or primarily on the internet that um that it doesn't take a lot for me to imagine that being not secure um be you know disappearing a world where where certain communities fringe communities communities off the edge no longer have access no longer have enough energy etc to to partake so i see like I, you know, I, th- I feel like the token, the local token economy, I start to see how, okay, that could be a way to continue to function, even if that great big fear came true. But I would li- still like you to talk a little bit about security and, and why one shouldn't be so afraid about that. 
Um, and then on the other side, I start to now see this huge advantage. Like what if we really did value the things that we do value, that you have to value when you live out here in these rural um, uh, island communities, right? We really value our watershed. We really value our our are growing our own food, growing it the way we want to. We really value access to, um, to, to, to being able to hunt or provide for ourselves the, like, you know, access to fishing, access to these things. And we really value forests and a forest ecology and trees and, and things being allowed to live, um, and, and be healthy. So, um, I want to both, have you speak a little bit more about um, how to protect ourselves from like the security and the kind of, you know, what if the whole intranets fall, fall down type thing. And also a little bit more about how, um, you know, uh, something like Shibikan, which yeah. I may have just messed up, is really going to like allow us to value what we do value. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And here's where we have a structural advantage over every other community that's ever existed in the history of mankind. And that's through the internet, through blockchain. So a key part of our uh, token ecosystem that we've designed is a very special feature called the Social Utility Network. That's our working title for it right now. And essentially it's like a pipeline and it goes everywhere on the internet and it allows all of the local token economies, all the, all the communities that say, we get it, we understand, we need to have our own financial uh, system on the blockchain, number one. So we can create value, number one, and have a means to distribute that value, number two. And uh, number three, that we also have the means to store that value through endowment funds and so on. So that you can accrete and store that value and then not only invest in your own community, you can partner with your local charities, not-for-profits, foundations, what have you. Uh, You might want to invest in local business. There's a fantastic individual on the island. Um, I can't name names just yet, but... um, He's got some incredible ideas for sustainable agriculture. Uh, leads directly into this uh, need for food security, water security, right? I, we talked about energy security briefly earlier. Being able to invest in those local initiatives and making sure, through again, through the DAO, through the governance structure, that the lion's share of what is coming into the community is going into these growth industries that serve the community, right? If the community says, if the community decided, you know, we want 90% of all of the value that's going to be invested into our economy through this local token economy, we want 90% of it all to go to this one person who's doing X, Y, and Z. And if everybody agrees, then that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's immutable, right? Nobody can tamper with it. You can't corrupt it. It's in the smart contract. It's done and dusted, right? Unlike a central government or a central bank where, you know, there's nepotism, all that goes away. All that goes away. 
So that's important to understand too. And then with the social utility network, we call it Sun for short, because that's the center. That's that's that that that's, that's that rail. If the sun, instead of a ball in the center, if the sun was a pipeline, a golden beaming, you know, I this is a person. My this is part of my personal philosophy. I believe that each of us are individual beams of light, incorruptible beams of light. And we're coursing through the cosmos, through the universe, and we have a certain arc on our each each individual does. We're 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 we have an arc and we're coursing through time and space, right? And the closer you are to your center of that beaming, immutable, energetic ball of fire that is your spirit or your soul or whatever you call it, the closer you are to that center, the more at peace you'll be, the more calm you'll be the more ability to attract good energy and repel bad energy or corrupt or corruption. That's the struggle, I think, that each of us are involved in during our lifetimes. We have a finite amount of time, as far as we know, to deal with some of these things in a cogent manner. And that's the analogy, this moral network that we're all coursing along. And if we can all kind of like a fiber optic cable bundle all of our energy together, we can bend time and space as individuals. I do believe that. This is what this is what this whole exercise is all about. And the sun, the social utility network is the illustration for that. If we can all get ourselves together and trade along our, a, a common common set of agreements, then uh, Cortez Island can trade with Quadra, can trade with um, Reed, um, you name it, Bowen, up and down, no problem. And then, it doesn't matter, we can go to Australia, we can go to Africa, we can go to Germany, we can go to England. And we can just say, hey, look what we're doing over here, do you like it? And bada bing, bada boom, we'll trade with them. We'll, we'll establish DAOs in those communities as well. And that will give us power, that will give us security. I think we focus locally, maybe we go to Seattle, maybe there's island communities, you know, just nearby across the border and say, hey, look, what if we respect the watershed more than we respect a national boundary? What if we respect whatever catchment you decide? When you look at the watershed and you just go to that permutation of political organization and ignore what, you know, Stalin or Churchill or Roosevelt penciled out on a napkin one day over, you know, drinks one afternoon about what the Middle East was going to look like, what if you just ignored all that and said, well, let's obey the laws of nature. Let's do that for a change. And why not use the watershed? It's very easy. You, you know, simple tools, it's all there on the internet already. But at one point, you know, the cartographers went out and said, this is the very lowest part of this watershed. And this is the very highest ridge line that encompasses this watershed. And so now you know what the watershed is. Or in the case of an island, it's really easy. It's like, where's the water's edge? That's your watershed, okay? Every, every living organism that is in that watershed, they're a stakeholder automatically, and they have rights. And you can't just strip that organism or that individual or that community or that set of communities. You might have watersheds that have multiple cities, multiple communities, multiple interests, right? And they might think that they don't have anything in common, but they do. And that's, again, where the Tao comes in. It has to include everybody. So we can do that. And, and 
And with those agreements in place, it's a big task, no doubt. But with those agreements in, in place, we can build our own, our own security apparatus. And frankly, a lot of these problems, you know, people complain about cryptocurrency. They say, you know, it's not responsible environmentally because, you know, they require proof of work to, to build, you know, to mine the cryptocurrency, right? Proof of work meaning you need to take electricity out of a wall, run it through your computer, turn your GPU, your, 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 your chip on your computer to figure out a bunch of math problems, and then it spits out something for the blockchain, and you get rewarded with a coin or, or you know, for your blockchain. That's proof of work. Well, people say the amount of energy that's required right now to do that kind of work is like, they throw out numbers like, it's like all of the energy that Switzerland produces or all of the energy that this country does or da-da-da. And they say, therefore, it's, it shouldn't be used because it's not environmentally responsible. Okay, that's one side. The other side is, well, how much energy do you think it takes for the United States right now to maintain its hegemony over the entire globe as the, the world's reserve currency? I'm talking about how much fuel do they spend every day on aircraft carriers, on fighter jets, on feeding soldiers to house them and feed them. And all of that, that has to go on each and every day all over the globe. We don't have to do that anymore if we don't want. If you make, if you say, oh, oh, you, oh, so if, uh, if the United States, would the United States today, having all the technology you have, if, if the United States was a Dow, right? Would they go to the Saudi Arabia government today with all the technology we have the way they did years ago and say, okay, Saudi Arabia, we'll protect you against everybody and everything as long as you denominate all of your oil reserves in the U.S. dollar? Would they do that today if they were a doubt? Right? I mean, it's great for the U.S. military and their budgets, and everybody has a vested interest in building guns and bombs and planes and all that kind of thing. Great for them, right? It's great. It gives people work. You know, they can go to the store. They can buy food. They can buy a car. They can raise a family. Wonderful, wonderful things. But that's not all. You know, what about the other side of all this stuff, right? The the wars, the geopolitical conflict, the... All the vested interests, the corruption, you know. Uh, how do you fund a development in the third world? You know, we could go on for forever on that subject. But, you know, again, uh, it's about decentralization. We know we're going in this direction anyway. It's, it's, there's no question anymore. We're not, you can't go back. The world is moving into a more and more decentralized way of living. We can't afford to repair our roads anymore. There isn't enough tax dollars to do it. All the money we're printing can't even cover our servicing our debt. So we're never going to pay that debt down. So we have to think ahead of this problem. I think this is a good time to have a moment of music break so that people can call in with their questions. Uh, I highly encourage you to call 
Um, you're, you don't go live on the air, so you can ask directly to Skinu or to me your question, and then we will answer it on the air. So this is a low-risk way of getting every crypto, um, blockchain, local token economy question that you can possibly think of um, answered or explained in more detail, or you can talk about something else that is somehow related to this. So give us a call at 250-935-0200. You are listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM or on the web at cortezradio.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in and please do call in 250-935-0200. Ask your questions.
six years now since my ring slipped on your finger and those years have made a better man out of me once an times when I treated you so badly I done things I know you'll never understand but you take me back turn your eyes to Funk from Manson's Hall. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ, 89.5 FM. Sharing the love in the Salish Sea.
one day I'd like to be rich and famous Maybe be funny like Andy and Amos Be on TV and sing like Stevie And have a girl who never leave me But I'd really like a place where there could be no war A bright and shiny world where there ain't no poor Where there's opportunity, peace and unity Where people can be or what they want to be And where apartheid can never happen again Where people don't judge you by the color of your skin Where I hold your hand, you hold mine Where a helpful hand is never hard to find A place where people care, where no one can bear When someone's hungry, with nothing there Where the heart is never cold, the young are never needy The old are never poor, and the rich are never greedy to the people, the people to the power, cause now is the time, this is the hour to stop thinking about war, start thinking about peace, so on this life we can get another lease, with a lesson to learn, a new direction to turn, so we can take it to the sky, where we belong, cause for too long, we've been too wrong, yeah we got the right nose, but we play the wrong song, stop thinking with your wallet, think with your mind, so we can move ahead, instead of behind, we got the people selling drugs, people are dying, politicians talking and you know they're lying, taxes for the poor, none for the rich, people starving in America, now ain't that a bummer? My heat's been turned off from a job I've been laid off. What am I gonna do? Well, is the shape I'm in because of my dark skin? Now I know that can't be true. But since we're all down here together, let's work to make it better. Do our best for what it's worth. But you know the rules are bent when you have to pay rent just to live on Earth. Talk about justice. Welcome back to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. So much happened during the break that... Uh, we're, we're not even going to be able to get, begin to get through it all, but thank you, thank you, thank you to those who called in, um, to those who came in, and to those who sent questions via different online platforms. A lot happened, um, and uh, one of the things that is really exciting that I, that is that I was introduced to something called Defined.fi. Um, This is a crypto uh, exchange um, as well as uh, a way to track um, and get more information on different cryptocurrencies. Um, And that website is D-E-F-I-N-E-D, as in, can you define that? Except for in the past tense, defined.fi, French, uh, Indiana. Okay, defined.fi, and it has been developed, apparently it's one of the big players in the game, and it has been developed by some Quadra neighbors. Woohoo! So go rural islands. Um, the uh, We'll see if we can get to some of the questions as well that happened, but we have very little time left, and we also have joining us uh, in this conversation is another um, islander, and uh, Dominic. <laughs> which I may have just gone wrong, um, and uh, who created Cortez.money and the idea of the Cortez Crypto Bank. So so now we're going to have a little bit of a, of a conversation where we're going to try to bring in some of the questions that happened, as well as get um, Dominic to give us a little preview of what a crypto bank 
is. Um, and, and this will just whet your appetite for a future show that will be more on this. So, uh, so welcome, um, welcome back Skinu and welcome to the conversation, Dominic. Hi, thanks you for having me. Uh, it's great to be back. And I, I feel like basically what happened is that the whole island got so excited that everybody rushed towards <laughs> this little this little station to see how they could be part of this conversation. So that seems really good. Um, you've been working on this idea of a Cortez crypto bank, it seems like, for a little bit. Um, it, can you, what is it? Um, basically, right now, it's just a website with a... Of with a crypto wallet built in um it's backed up on a couple of devices and it kind of it has similar features to your online banking where you can have uh, like transaction history you can send money to your contacts you can add contacts um this one actually lets you use a couple of different cryptocurrencies as well as cortez coins so you can have your bitcoin in there you can have your ethereum in there and transfer them in between um Right now, it has some pretty big flaws. Um, it costs what's called gas um, to send transactions, which means it takes a crypto coin that it's based off of to send. It's a little bit weird, but I was thinking of just solar powering the entire thing, generating our own coins to pay for the transaction fees so we have a completely free uh, infrastructure. Another option is to just make a different coin that does the same thing that doesn't have transaction fees. Um, the biggest thing is how can we make it work? Cause it takes infrastructure to use. So how can we use that infrastructure without having to pay for it by keep on buying other crypto coins? Right? So I like the idea of mining, mining the gas fee using solar power so that everyone gets free transaction fees. We just take it out of a big pool and it costs no electricity because we're a small Island. We don't need that many miners. And if we have three or four miners running off, wind and solar I think it'll cover all the transaction fees um and then yeah it's basically like instead of hey e-transfer me 20 bucks it's send me 20 cortez coins and scan the qr code and you know what i mean done and everyone gets their own um little fee pool that they can pull out of uh, this, I, I feel like I could follow at least three quarters of what you said yeah. because, um, Skinu did such a good job of getting me, um, familiar with, with, having my brain work in this way. So I'm wondering, um, Skinu, when you hear about this, how you see this fitting within an idea of a local token economy, um, uh, that, yeah, uh, basically how, how, how does this fit into the, the future Cortez that we might be able to inhabit through local token economies? Well, Number one, I have to say, I'm really thrilled that uh, that I'm sitting beside Dominic right now. Number one, why? Because anyone who's met me on the island knows about my interest in blockchain and crypto. And more than any other name, I say crypto on this island. People say, oh, you mean Dominic? And I'm like, no, I mean crypto, blockchain. Oh, you mean Dominic? Oh, and so eventually I'm like, I better talk to, I better talk to Dominic. So I went down and I talked to Dominic. It's a beautiful sunny day, and the first time I saw him, and there he was on his boat, sparkling as always, glowing. 
And I was like, ah, Dominic. Now I get it. I get it. Dominic. So I brought him up to speed on what I was doing. And uh, right away, he was like, yeah, whatever you need. I'm like, can we support you, number one? Uh, it is fantastic to be on Cortez and to know that people are on the island are, they're number one, they're up to speed, and that there are leaders on the island that we can partner with. And, and, um, and there's, there, with Dominic, every time I talk to him, it's zero friction. It's just like, I'm like, we have a community of over 8,000 people. We have software developers. We have a fully fleshed out token ecosystem. We're building partnerships. We're in finance. We're in arts and culture. We're in DeFi. We're in gaming. What can we do for you? Like, what can we do for Cortez? And, and Dominic is like, no problem. Whatever you need. So, so I'm really excited for what's possible, and we're just starting this conversation now. But it is, uh, we're right now we're blue skying, but right now I don't see any any reason why. Well, not not only do I not see any reason why this can't work here on Cortez, I see every reason why it can and should. And Dominic is a big reason, a big part of that for my optimism. It feel a little bit like. All, like uh, motorcycling and sailing and all these like th these resources just happened in to an island that's been talking about some form of I th uh, local currency um, and for for a long time, but hasn't quite figured out how to to get it off off the ground. Um, so I, I feel like we, we can't stop doing folk you radio, uh, on this until, until we, everyone is as excited as now I am, <laughs> you guys are. Uh, so we are really, um, basically out of time. I'm hoping both of you can share if people want to get to the next level of this conversation and find out more about what you are each doing, where can they go? Um, what's their homework between now and our next uh, next class on this? Uh, I guess the first thing would be, if you're interested, check out Cortez.money. Um, open up your uh, transaction account. It'll give you your own wallet address. You'll have the option to back it up, download it, uh, make sure you have more than one copy. Um, from that, you can, you know what I mean? You'll get your own wallet address, which is the same as your bank account number. And you can ask your friends about their, uh, wallet addresses and add them in the contacts and start getting familiar with that. There's a little bit of, uh, literature on the website as well. Um, so I guess just get familiar, I guess, if you want to get familiar with a token economy, what's the difference between a token and a crypto coin. Um, and then, yeah, just sign up on the website. And pretty soon, I, I feel like this series is going to be on that website, too. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and it's, if I can just add, for, for, uh, for our organization, we're on Telegram and Twitter. On Telegram, we're at t.me slash shibakens. That's S-H-I-B-A-K-E-N-S. -E and uh, on Twitter, it's Shibakin Finance. Same spelling. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, I am Skanu on Telegram. That's at S-K-E-N-O-O. -O. Uh, my website is skanu.ca as well. You can always find me there. Um, fill your boots. On, on the island here, we're going to do, uh, we want to organize some educational opportunities so people can 
find out uh, what's going on and how they can get involved and some basic education on, on what we're doing, how to set up a wallet as well. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here and thank you for tuning in. If you would like to get hold of either Skin New and Dominic and you can't find that at either of their websites, feel free to reach out to me or send your questions, your ideas for future shows, or just your ideas about this series, What is Essential to Me, at you at folku.ca. That's you, the letter U, at F-O-L-K-U dot CA. Thanks again for another great uh, time together. Bye, neighbor. Think. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot C-A. My little brain's almost always gone.